DTN's 2022 digital yield tour powered by Grow Intelligence has wrapped, and the numbers surprised many in the market. What did farmers think about the latest data? That's today on Field Posts. DTN Progressive Farmer podcast that dives deeper into the most important trends in agriculture to explore the business's cutting edge. I'm your host, Sarah Mock. DTN's fifth annual digital yield tour wrapped up just days ago on August 12th, 2022, and Grow's yield estimates were meaningfully lower than the USDA's, leaving some surprised and others feeling validated. Today, DTN Farm Business Editor Katie Dellinger joins us to reveal the latest estimates that Grow Intelligence published during the tour, including granular yield estimates for 10 key Midwestern states and national numbers for both corn and soybeans. We'll dig into the meaning behind the numbers, talk through the hyper-local effects that many farmers are dealing with, and discuss what might still be ahead as weather continues to create uncertainty in the weeks to come. We'll discuss drought impacts, delayed planting, and when DTN Progressive Farmer readers and listeners might hear the next update from Grow Intelligence, right after this word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by MyDTN. In today's environment, it's essential, more than ever, to get the most current and accurate information to help save your valuable resources and continue to be profitable. Get access to all the information you need to deal with this change from DTN. As the leading independent, trusted source of actionable insights and market information, MyDTN gives you accurate weather forecasts, the most extensive database of grain bids, and the most timely news and analysis from our award-winning news team. These features and more are available 24-7 via desktop, laptop, and any mobile device to be with you on the go. Learn more at MyDTN.com and start a free 14-day trial. Now, back to the show. DTN Farm Business Editor Katie Dellinger joins us today to discuss the results of the 2022 DTN Digital Yield Tour. Katie, so excited to have you back. We talked to you about two weeks ago when we are a week away from the Yield Tour. It wrapped up a few days ago. It started out with a little bit of a format change-up. We announced the national figures on the first day instead of the last day. Talk to us a little bit about those big national numbers that Grow Intelligence was talking about last week. So when we started the DTN Digital Yield Tour powered by Grow Intelligence about five years ago, we started out with the idea that we'd take a walk through the Corn Belt each day looking at a different region. And then when we're all done, we'd say, okay, this is what we saw and we'd release a national number. And over time, we've realized that that wasn't necessarily the most effective strategy, that by the time we got to that national number, which is the one that the markets tend to trade and that tends to be the one that really has the big impact, by the time we had gotten to that in our yield tour, usually the USDA had come out with their estimate and readers had gotten kind of tired of the methodical pace of state by state. So we decided to change it up. And we went with the national 
national numbers first this year, which I think was a really interesting way to begin because it's really like we, we took the 50,000 foot view and then each day following that, we zoomed into the different regions and different states that matter to people, maybe more so as far as understanding what's going on in, in their backyard, what their local cash markets might reflect when they go to market their grain and looking at sort of the local supply situation and what these yields around them look like. So we started at the 50,000 foot view and what we found with Grow's national corn yield was that the crop's really not as good off as the crop progress reports and some of the other um, yield estimates might be. At 167.2 bushels per acre, Grow Intelligence was about 10 bushels per acre below USDA's trend line and then USDA's 174 bushel per acre estimate that came out last Friday. So grow is still substantially lower than other trade estimates, other analysis figures of what's going on out there on corn. They're also underneath on soybeans. Their grow is at 48.9 for the digital yield tour. And but I think what the grow analysts really pointed out and what really makes the difference in looking at their yield models versus some of these other analytical methods is really just that methodology, Sarah. Grow Grow uses a huge amount of data to put together the these yield estimates. Each yield estimate is built on a district level, and then it's rolled into a county estimate, and then it's rolled into a state estimate, and then all those state estimates form the national estimates. But all those very granular district level estimates are based on up to 100 different data points for that exact spot on the globe between surface temperature, soil moisture, a huge amount of data. So they pull in all of that. Whereas for USDA in August, they really base their yield estimate based on a farmer survey. And so a lot of other analytical groups either do the farmer survey or some go out and do traditional crop tour styles where they travel around, pull samples from fields and use some statistical methods to try and extrapolate from that data as to what the national picture might be. So by coming out with this national number first, we're really showing the insights that data can provide to, that are beyond what a lot of, or anyone else really is doing in the month of August, especially with the amount of accuracy towards the final reports that, that they give as far as being closer in, in some cases to USDA's final number than USDA itself in, in August sometimes. So it's an interesting partnership and going with the national numbers first, I think was a good way to kick the share off. Before we dive into the states, I want to just ask a quick follow-up on that, which is, I think the other, it sounded like some of the other news from Grow was that for people to keep in mind is that Grow updates their estimates every single day. Talk a little bit about how maybe the trend line, which of course, when we look at a USDA trend line, we're tracking one day a month over six months. And so the trend is six points long. What does Grow's hundreds of trend points look like? So over just the amount of time since I visited with you, Sarah, last, the yield estimate has trended upwards. There have been some parts of the country where the actual temperatures and forecasts in early part of August, the last few days of July, came in cooler and wetter than what was initially anticipated. So the national yield estimate for grow is trending upwards for corn as well as for soybeans. With soybeans, there's still a lot to go and a lot of weather factor to still play into these yield estimates. So there's a little bit more movement on a day-to-day basis kind of in the soybean estimate. But what we've really seen as far as trend now 
nationally is that it's trending up. When we break it down and start looking at different states and different regions, that story changes because there are some places that are not trending up. There are some places that are still hot and dry, um, Kansas, parts of Nebraska, the western side especially, that are going to stay hot and dry, unfortunately, and they're not going to catch much relief from the rains and cooler temperatures that are swinging into the east. So there's a lot of weather variability still left in this crop as far as how big it'll be, where it'll be big, and sort of when when people really need to know what to pay attention to for it. I want to start talking about some of these little more bite-sized parts. Talk a little bit about what you saw in Illinois, Indiana, and Ohio. So in that eastern Corn Belt region, there are really two, two, two things to talk about here. I divide them up into Indiana and Ohio and then Illinois. Illinois as a state is leading the pack as far as its statewide yield estimate. It is the best looking corn and soybeans in the country based on GROWS models. That said, Illinois is not setting records. Illinois is not, is maybe on pace for an average, slightly above average trend type yield. So that's their, GROW put them at about 196.9. USDA in August has them at about 203. So, the, so those are actually some of the closer ones in our analysis and in this digital yield tour, what we were looking at. And that really makes sense if you look at Illinois' weather. The southern third of the state, especially that southern part on the Missouri side, has struggled with a bit of drought. But the northern parts of Illinois are, are expected to yield pretty strongly compared to their historical averages, while the McLean County, Champaign County, down to Decatur, that area that's really known as being some of the most fertile and best soil in the country, is looking to perform pretty well too. But looking at historical averages and records, they're not going to be bin busting 300 bushel corn, even in Illinois, where they've got the best weather conditions for the crop and some of the best yields in the country. You move over to Indiana and Ohio and you look at grows yield maps and it really reminds me almost of a checkerboard. Some are a little bit darker green, some are a little bit lighter green. And that just shows the difference in yield potential and the variation across those two states, just as far as whether it's really when the crop got planted whether it was early, whether it was mudded in, whether it went in late, because there was a really messy springtime in that eastern part of the Corn Belt. And then the other factor really driving that sort of checkerboard pattern of yield potential is the hit or miss rains that have come in that eastern Corn Belt. There, have been, there has been rain. There has been also some heat in that eastern Corn Belt. And you can really see sort of haves and have-nots based on that sort of rainfall and planting pattern. As far as numbers go, in Indiana, the corn yields that grow estimated during the digital yield tour was 180.9, while on soybeans, it was 54.4. In Ohio, the corn was estimated 178.9, and the soybeans at 51.8. And both of those are below last year and below USDA, USDA's estimates that they released on Friday. Yeah, starting to get a sense of that trend of maybe a little, the crop not looking quite as good as USDA seems to think it does, but let's talk a little bit about in Nebraska, Iowa, Wisconsin, geographically, not the most directly 
adjacent group. But yeah, talk to us about what is tying those states together and what are things looking like? What you can see interesting on the Nebraska to Wisconsin map is a west to east pattern that developed with drought. You look at the Nebraska map and you look at the western half and they are struggling. You can really pick out the irrigated areas of Nebraska on the map simply because they're a darker color because they have extra water to boost that yield. So when you look at the Nebraska map, it's very clear the impact of what drought has had. And then when you move over to Iowa, there's a bit of a gradual change from the southwest corner where the drought's pretty heavy to the northeast corner where it's got some of the better crops in the state. And there's a gradient of different conditions within there. It's highly variable from one one part of the state to the other. And so Iowa is the quintessential hit or miss or variability is the word we use a lot here because it encompasses a lot of the different types of differences, if that makes sense. There are a lot of ways that things are different and are going differently for these crops in different states. And so as we move from Iowa to Wisconsin, that's one of those stories where Wisconsin's actually got some of the um, better yield potential relative to their production history, especially on soybeans. Soybeans, they have one of the few estimates that's expected to actually beat the five-year average at 51.3 bushels per acre. And that's largely because they've had cooler temperatures and plenty of rain in the forecast. They didn't quite have as much dryness early in the year in Wisconsin. And so the drought side isn't what they've been struggling with unlike some of their compatriot farmers in Nebraska and Iowa. So we really showcase that west to east impact of drought by grouping those states together. Now in Nebraska, I mentioned the drought taking its toll on yields. And this is a number that I think was really surprising to me when we looked at GROW's yield models for the state. The statewide average for Nebraska corn yields is 158 bushels per acre. To put that in perspective, last year they had 195 and USDA has them at 181. So even USDA is seeing a yield drop off in Nebraska, which is a top producing state kind of historically for corn. And so we're seeing a 158 bushel per acre yield there from GROW's estimates. And that just goes to show how tough a time this crop has had in the heat and with some of the storm systems that have come through this summer. Nebraska has been has gotten quite a bit of hail and a lot of hail damage, which for some of this corn really just was insult to injury for what's going on out there. On soybeans, Nebraska is rated at about a 52.5. I think they got some late planted beans in. A lot of that really does rely on the moisture, which some parts of the state have gotten so far this month. Others have not. So Nebraska's moving forward, trying to get its way through the season and over the finish line. Iowa, as far as the numbers, are a little bit stronger. The corn yield in Iowa is 180.4. Last year, USDA had Iowa at 205. So that's a 15 bushel per acre drop just based on one year. So that's what I'm talking about, where some of even with some of the best looking crops in the country, the entire state's variability really is bringing down that statewide yield estimate. On soybeans in Ohio, they're at 55.9, which is down from last year's 62 bushel per acre. So it's sort of the same song, different verse. Yeah, Western Nebraska, I've heard so many really tough stories from farmers. I'm curious, taking a little pause, a little halftime from talking about the states, talk a little bit about... You all do a lot of ground truthing and checking in with farmers during the week. What kind of things were you hearing from farmers last week? 
a lot of our feedback was that they actually thought that the grow yield models were reflecting things pretty well on the ground. I heard from some folks, they thought the numbers were high. Some people thought the numbers were low, which is usually a pretty good indication that it's somewhere in the middle. The other question that comes up the most frequently when we have this conversation, when we're going through this project with farmers is, okay, but what does this mean down the road? And they really want to know, okay, if GROWS models change every day, what do they look like in September? Because in August, USDA's estimates are just based on a farmer survey. They don't do any of their objective field data where USDA's enumerators go out and do field, pull ears, count kernels, and do some of that ground truthing that USDA does. So USDA doesn't put any of that out till September. And so what we do every year, what we're doing this year especially, is that in the early to mid part of September, we are going to follow up with GROW to see where their yield models are ahead of that September WASDE report to see how they've changed, to see if the national yield potential goes up, to see what it looks like in some of these states like Missouri, where they've had a really tough time of drought, but the forecast for some weather developed. And so it changed the yield model trajectory to see how that really plays out. Did it help that rain as far as the crop potential in those states? So we are going to follow up in September. That's the biggest question we get from farmers. They want to know more. They want to know how this changes over time and they want to follow it. And the other thing that's interesting there along that changing over time, because GROWS yield models are constantly evolving, their model comes to its final number and its final estimate, usually sometime mid-November when there is no more crop for it to track from satellites on the ground, when its data legitimately just stops changing because the corn crop is harvested and gone. Whereas USDA doesn't put out its final estimate until January. So you do get an earlier sort of end to the crop year when you look at some of the data-driven models like this. Great segue into, you mentioned Missouri. Let's talk about Kansas and Missouri. What is happening in the Southern Plains, mid-Delta region? Well, Kansas is the lowest yielding state in our 10 yield or our 10 state survey we did here. Kansas has had the worst hand as far as drought from the beginning to the middle to the end, especially in that southeastern corner, which generally gets a little more rainfall, which generally produces a little bit more corn. And then all the way up to that sort of northwest side through central Kansas, the southwest corner has irrigation. But even when you look at the state or at least those county average yields, you can still see the impact of drought in those irrigated areas there. The yields are not as strong as they would be, or at least they have been in recent years. And so Kansas is really struggling with drought. So that's why GROW's yield estimate for the state during the tour was 118.5. That's the lowest since the 2012 drought. USDA has them at 123 for this year, so at least they're fairly close. But last year, USDA's estimate for Kansas was almost 140 bushels per acre. Kansas harvests over 5 million acres of corn, so they actually harvest more acreage than Ohio or Indiana. So having a low corn yield, it really does take a toll, especially for it being a big consumer of corn as well with all of their cattle and their feedlots. And that is going to be a corn deficit area of the country, which I think is a good thing to point out why we do the state-by-state look as well as our national numbers. So you can look at Kansas and say, Kansas is going to have a shortage of corn. I know they are growing more sorghum and some other things there this year, but the feed market will be interesting in Kansas. Kansas soybeans, 34.8 bushels per acre. Those are both lower. That's about five, six bushels lower than USDA put out last week. So that's also reflecting some of the drought conditions. 
And if we slide on over into Missouri, there are parts of the state that are doing well, but some of the historically high producing areas are not as high producing. There may be more average, like that northwestern corner of the state from like St. Joseph to, to Iowa. That area is not doing as well as historically, but it's still one of the stronger parts of the state. Same along with everything north of I-70 and then down in the Boot Hill, they've actually had some good moisture and have some good crops. It's that southwestern corner where the drought has really bled across the border from Kansas and has really taken a toll on the corn and soybeans in that area. So statewide, Missouri's average corn yields from grow was 142.8 bushels per acre. That's about 10 bushels per acre lower than what USDA said. And then on soybeans, the estimate from grow is at 45 bushels per acre, about four lower than USDA. So there is some definite room in Missouri for things to still struggle if they don't get all the moisture that's forecast. We'll all be watching the weather very carefully, I think, for the next six or eight weeks. But we just have two states left, South Dakota, Minnesota. Give us the update. So South Dakota was the second worst state as far as corn yields and the second worst state as far as soybean yields in our survey, which is not a surprise to anyone. They also struggled with drought conditions throughout most of the state. Same song, different different verse where, you know, the good parts of the state aren't producing as well as they normally do. That southeastern half along the border with Minnesota is a little bit better than some others. So South Dakota is struggling with drought. 128.9 bushels per acre from Grow's estimate. That's sharply lower than USDA. USDA put South Dakota corn at 147, which is actually higher than last year with the drought they had there. A little bit of differing opinions on the state of South Dakota's corn crop. I think the Grow models do say there's a little bit of a chance for a rain. And because that crop is also behind in development, it might have some room to help, but we'll just have to wait and see. And on the soybeans, this is one area where Grow and USDA agree fairly similarly. Grow is at 42.8 on the soybean yield and USDA is at 43. And if we move over into Minnesota, this is where farmers are a little bit closer to a crop that's average compared to what they've had in the past. So we grow put their yield at 173.1. USDA sees it a lot higher. USDA puts it at 193. But it's worthwhile to note that last year, Minnesota farmers harvested 178 bushels per acre. So having a statewide average in Minnesota of 173 would be a little bit closer to what's typical there. There are a couple of really good producing regions. The Red River Valley has had really timely rainfall and good temperatures, benefiting off of some of Canada's favorable weather patterns that they've had over the summer. Whereas that southeastern part of the state of Minnesota that kind of bleeds into Wisconsin also had some really good growing conditions. On soybeans, Minnesota came in at 47.5 bushels per acre on grow, 50 bushels per acre on USDA, and that's right at about the five-year average for the state. So they're looking at a, a pretty consistent bean crop up, up in that area. And then the real question is about what the acreage is. I know there was some corn that shifted into beans with that delayed planting season that really drove the storyline for those states. So to have a good bean yield is a good thing in Minnesota this year. Taking a little bit of a step back and looking at both some of these state averages, but also at the national numbers, coming out of this week, what were your kind of big takeaways or maybe big surprises? And as you look to the next six or eight weeks, what are you going to be watching most closely to potentially throw a wrench in the current trend? 
right now, I think variability is the word of the day and the description that goes out there. And as much as it describes the nature of things that are uneven and not consistent, it's hard to find something that's more variable than variable because there's really everything under the sun in this corn crop. What I've heard from farmers is that, okay, there's hail damage on the top third of the plant. What does that mean for its ability to fill out that ear? Is it going to be lighter and test fit? Are they going to have these problems, those problems? There are some fields where it was hot at pollination and there are problems. How big are they? Is it going to be mostly tip back? Is it going to show up as aborted kernels? How is that drought impact going to look? How is What's going to happen to some of the corn that pollinated in the heat? What about the corn that was moisture starved before the heat and then heat? There's just a huge array of growing conditions out there across the corn belt. You look at the national map of all these states together and you really see the impact of all these different conditions. It's not like last year, it was this beautiful contiguous deep green across a wide swath of the eastern corn belt and it's just not like that this year even in the drought areas it's very dependent on whether they caught a rain at the right time as to what yield potential can be every state has good spots and bad spots there's nothing that's uniformly great or to some extent uniformly awful like the drought hit states in nebraska and kansas farmers might say it's all awful even if it's irrigated but it's something where every state has a little bit of a different growing condition from one part of the state state to the other. And then from one state to another, it's very different too. So variability is the big takeaway, I would say, from what we learned on the digital yield tour this year is just how the depth and scope of that variability across the corn belt. I want to talk a little bit about the period between here and harvest as well in terms of, you mentioned that you all are going to be checking back in with Grow to get a little bit of an update. It seems like just given the season we've had so far, we've put a bit of a cap on, even if weather somehow turns magically around and everything's great, some damage has been done. I'm curious what your perspective in terms of, is there a forecast, a weather situation that could happen that could cause this crop to improve dramatically? Obviously there's the opposite is true, but yeah, I'm curious just in terms of watching the weather, in terms of talking to John Brannick, does it seem like we're going to have a pretty consistent next six, eight weeks, or is there a potential that things might turn around weather-wise? So one of the things that was interesting this year, especially on some of those Eastern Corn Belt states, was the delays in planting. The springtime, there were, there, it was variable across the country, as I said, that's the word, but there were a lot of different types of planting conditions. A lot of the crop got in late. So the question is, is that crop still, where is it in its developmental stages? Is there still some room for it to improve? Because typically the NDVI or the normalized deviation vegetative index, it's a scale of essentially how green the crop looks from outer space and how much that differs from that. It's a big part of most satellite models. So these NDVI values for most states are towards the low end of historical normals. They are trending below average. And the question is, have they already peaked? Because once that NDVI peaks, that sort of reflects as corn enters that grain fill stage where it's just adding on kernel weight and progressing towards black layer. And every step that corn crop gets closer to black layer, the further locked in that yield potential is. So as we move closer to harvest, the odds of yield changing significantly are less and less. And the question here is, since the crop was largely planted a few weeks late, do we still have a few weeks for maybe some of these 
cooler weathers to help on the grain fill side for corn as much or if not more than beans because there's still some time in that development for it to really start to pack on some of that test weight. That's a question that's out there. So there's still, for especially some of those late planted crops, they need as much good weather as they can between now and harvest to really get those crops over the finish line to black layer to really make the most out of their potential. On soybeans, the August and moisture going into August and through August can make the difference because it really grows the size of the pod. What I have heard from some farmers, even in Illinois and places that had good good yields from the grow models, they had some really hot weather that caused some pods and some flowers to abort on that first node, and it really has taken a toll on yields. So some of it may not be immediately visible in crop health now might filter into the models later. And so I think everyone is really paying attention to the heat in August. The question is, how much did that early heat at the end of July and early August take off as far as some of that potential for the bean crop. And then the question is, will rainfall in this month make up for it going forward in the size of the beans that eventually are produced from the plant? We are getting into harvest. Folks will be spending some time in the combine. Talk a little bit about stories you have coming out in the next few weeks and what people should be keeping an eye out for. Well, later on this week, tomorrow, I head to Kansas State University. I'm going to be attending their Risk and Profit Conference, where I'm really going to be getting updates on ag finance. I'm going to sit in on a few tax sessions, some things on land values. I'm really trying to get an idea, hopefully some insights on input prices for the next year and some of the strategies and things farmers will do, since that seems to be one of the bigger risks out there. There aren't really good ways to hedge and manage some of those. So I'm trying to find more on what farmers are doing from that perspective. And then I'm really gearing up for my project season. I'm starting to plan the agenda for this year's DTN Ag Summit and get some of that together. So I'm excited to share some details with you and all the listeners down the road. And then it's really getting into that harvest season, seeing what's going on, where, how it's looking when the crops come out of the field. I'm looking forward to that. I'm hoping to make some travel and sit in a couple combine cabs myself. To learn more and dig into the details of the 2022 DTN Digital Yield Tour powered by Grow Intelligence, and to follow all of Katie's reporting on ag business, check out DTNPF.com and relive the tour on social media with the hashtag DTNYieldTour22. This episode of Field Post was brought to you by the team at DTN Progressive Farmer, with special thanks to Katie Dellinger. This episode was produced and edited by me, Sarah Mock, with support by Greg Hillier and Kylie Swanson. And a big thanks to all of you for listening. If you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And until next time, remember, the future of farming is here. This episode of Field Post is brought to you by DTN Ag Weather Station. Are you looking to get more accurate, hyper-local weather information? By gathering weather and agronomic data directly from your own fields, DTN Ag Weather Station supports you when making targeted decisions around expensive or high-risk activities like chemical applications and irrigation. DTN's Ag Weather Station can be purchased for as low as $9 a month depending on your current customer status with DTN. If you're looking to increase your weather accuracy while saving time, please visit DTN.com.